Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at c-u-e-a-n-d-r-e-v-i-e-w.com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. Evening Times Sport, November 15. Barry Ferguson calls for update on Van Bronckhorst's future. Report by Ewan Payton. Barry Ferguson has called on Rangers to break their silence regarding the future of Giovanni Van Bronckhurst. It's reported that the Ibrox board have still to discuss where the club goes from here, having fallen nine points behind Celtic at the weekend. There is now a five-week mid-season break for the World Cup, and Ferguson reckons the longer the situation remains a mystery, the more chance of further damage to the club. He told the Daily Record, I have listened to Gio's post-match interview a number of times since the weekend, and it is clear to me that he isn't sure about his own future. To tell you the truth, I actually feel a bit sorry for him, because he'll have gone back to Holland, probably not knowing where he stands. Whatever you might think of him as a manager, That's a horrible situation to be in as a man. In fact, it's equally unsettling for the Rangers fans, who just want to know where the club is going from here, the same way Gio must be feeling. I know the fans are suffering because every day I am getting the same kind of questions. What's happening in there? Is he going to survive? That's a horrible environment to have to deal with and it is unhealthy for the football club in general. The place is crying out for answers and a bit of clarity. The situation will only get worse until a decision is made, one way or the other. The first conversation has to be between Gio and the board, and it has to happen straight away. I know he's gone back home, but this conversation cannot be put off any longer. They need to discuss where it's gone wrong over the last couple of months, where they want to be in the next couple of months, and how they plan to go about getting there. If they can agree on how to do it, then they should come out and give Gio their backing, tell the fans and the players that he's in charge, and that the club will be bringing in new players ahead of the second part of the season. But if they cannot agree, and they decide they need to make a change, then they have to get on with it. Don't leave everyone hanging any longer. One way or another, a decision has to be made, and the club needs to be given a sense of direction. I realise the club cannot come out and comment every time there's any sort of issue, but this isn't just any issue. This is huge, and it needs to be addressed with real urgency. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, 
November 15. Postacoglu on the wish list for potential Japan job. Report by Ewan Payton. Japan have placed Celtic boss Ange Postacoglu at the top of their wanted list should they be looking for a new manager after the World Cup. The Hoops gaffer arrived in Scottish football from Japan after overseeing an impressive job at Yokohama F Marinos. The Japanese face a group against Germany, Costa Rica and Spain for the upcoming tournament in Qatar. Manager Hajime Moriyasu could well remain in his post following the World Cup campaign. However, while that is still unclear, Postikoglu has been name-checked as a potential replacement in the national team role should a change be made. Nikan Sports report that Japan technical director Yasuharu Soramachi has asked Postikoglu about the possibility of leading Japan forward. Should that be a move that Postikoglu does take? It would be the second time that he dipped into international management. He spent four years as top dog of the Australian national side, winning the Asia Cup and qualifying for two consecutive World Cups. This new report states that this experience, coupled with his extensive knowledge of Japanese football, makes him a prime candidate. Of Celtic's strong Japanese contingent in the squad, only Dazen Maeda is headed for the Middle East to compete in the World Cup. Both Ryo Hatate and Kyogo will be hoping to be involved in years to come. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, November 15 Loudrop responds to Van Brockhurst's stupid comment. Report by Ewan Payton Brian Loudrop has responded to Giovanni Van Bronckhurst's stupid remarks. The Dane spoke last week about the Dutchman's poor body language on the touchline as Rangers manager. This irked the Jazz boss as he hit back in a press conference dismissing Loudrop's thoughts. However, Loudrop has now doubled down on his opinion, maintaining that Van Bronckhorst's body language appears to be off. He wrote in his Daily Mail column, Last week, I spoke about Van Bronckhorst's body language, his whole demeanour, really, and whether it looked as though he truly believed he could turn things around in terms of recent performances and results. I know he responded to me with some comments of his own. He was perfectly entitled to do so. I have no problem with that at all. But I stand by what I said, because the point I was trying to make was about the impression it gave to others, including players. I was thinking back to my time and whether I'd seen a manager look the downbeat way Van Bronckhurst did as his team lost to St Johnston. Even in Van Bronckhurst's own playing days, he might have wondered what was going on 
if his manager did not look as if he could change things or turn it around. The Dutchman has been through so much this season. Saturday's 1-1 draw with St Mirren was yet another blow. It was more of the same really. After the game, Van Bronckhorst spoke about not being certain whether he would still be in charge after the World Cup break. Again, to me, it looked like someone who wanted a decision to be made on whether he is the man or not. That's now down to the Ibrox board. I said last week that the call on whether to back Van Bronckhurst or make a change had to come early in the World Cup break. I noticed Kenny Miller saying something similar at the weekend. It just makes sense. Obviously, there is a financial element to be considered when thinking about ending contracts, and that's not straightforward. The biggest question, though, would surely be about who comes in next. All these elements have to be carefully thought through. But if there is to be a new manager at Rangers, you would still want it to happen as quickly as possible, so they have the best possible chance to work with the players ahead of the restart. Evening Times Sport, November 15. Premiership Season Review, Story of the Campaign So Far in Scotland, Report by Times Sport. In a season like no other, the Premiership has taken a mid-season break for the World Cup in Qatar. Not quite the halfway point of the campaign, the table is beginning to take shape in Scotland's top flight. Times Sport have reviewed the season so far. Best team. Celtic, the most straightforward answer here. The champions look red hot under Ange Postecoglou once again, building on what they started last year. Some of their free-flowing attacking football has been joyful to watch. Also, they have shown they have the mettle to contend with setbacks and fight to the bitter end to ensure the three points stay with them. Most demoralising defeat. In terms of the outlook of the season, it must be said that the first derby between Celtic and Rangers produced a shocker for the away side. Giovanni van Bronckhorst's men were blown away by their hosts in Glasgow's East End. Celtic laid down a marker and Rangers have never really recovered with poor results against Livingston, St Johnston, St Mirren, leading to calls for the manager to be sacked. The aforementioned 9-0 drubbing of Dundee United by Celtic also deserves a shout in this category, with United still bottom of the table at present. Best signing. This mid-season award will be jointly awarded to Bojan Miofsky of Aberdeen and Rangers Antonio Scholak. Both have scored 11 Premiership goals since joining in the summer. They are tied at the top of the goal-scoring charts. The former has provided a much-needed lethal touch up top for Jim Goodwin's side. The reality is he could have had more had he not missed a couple of recent penalties. Cholak has been Rangers' main success story this season. After a slow start, the Croatian quickly found his feet 
and became the club's top striker. He's filled the boots of Morelos nicely and can be proud of his performance to date. Forgotten Man Aidan Maggedi has without doubt been very unlucky with injury since joining Hibs. That doesn't change the fact that you could forgive fans for forgetting about him joining the Easter Road Club. He was ruled out in the opening stages for Lee Johnson's side, with the ex-Celtic man sitting in the stands since. Another player who has become an afterthought is Oliver Abelgard. He's not really had a chance in the first team at Celtic to show what he can do in midfield since joining on loan. Biggest disappointment. The category could be spun in a few different ways depending on your perspective. For example, the introduction VAR has hardly been a success so far. However, for this, we note Alfred Morelis's performances. Reporting back unfit and with major question marks over his attitude, he's never got going this season. After being a talisman for the Ibrox club for so long, there's no doubt Rangers have missed him. Not just his goals, but his hold-up and link-up play. It's difficult to see where Morelos goes from here in terms of recovering his Rangers career. It seems likely that he will be off at the end of his contract in the summer. The sacking. There has only been one sacking during the course of the season itself, with Graham Alexander departing Motherwell prior to the start of the campaign. It also came early doors with Jack Ross leaving Dundee United in August. After an outstanding 1-0 home win over AZ Alkmaar in the Europa Conference League qualifiers, the Tannadice side were then beaten 7-0 in the away leg. Concerningly, their dismal form continued in the opening month with defeats to Livingston, St Mirren and finally Celtic. A 9-0 mauling at home was enough to cause Ross his job after less than two months in charge. Biggest Beneficiaries of World Cup Break There are a couple of teams who fall into this section. From Hearts to Kilmarnock, some teams need to regroup in terms of their form, but also to get players back from injury. Perhaps the team that needed a break the most, though, was Rangers. Nine points behind in the title race. Results were not picking up any time soon. With this pause in the season, Rangers can make up their minds with regard to their manager one way or the other. Van Bronckhurst could benefit from some time away but also the chance to get some of his best players back from injury by the time the next game comes around. On the flip side, should he go, it gives a new man a chance to bed in for a sort of mini pre-season type period. Best 11 so far in a 4-3-3 formation. Kale Roos Aberdeen, Nicky Devlin Livingston, Cameron Carter Vickers Celtic, Jack Fitzwater Livingston, Greg Taylor Celtic, Rio Hatati Celtic, Kinu Bakus St Mirren, Matt O'Reilly Celtic, Jota Celtic, Antonio Cholak Rangers, Bojan Miofsky Aberdeen.
Evening Time Sport, November 15. Rangers remove souvenir photo after fan backlash. Report by Ewan Payton. A picture from the night Rangers lost 7-1 to Liverpool in the Champions League has been removed from the club's online store. On Monday, the club released a memorabilia print from their hefty Ibrox defeat to the Premier League giants. The panoramic image was available for supporters to buy via their official framed picture store. Priced at £50 plus postage and packaging, fans were able to purchase the souvenir from the game. With Rangers going down officially as the worst ever side to compete in the Champions League, it unsurprisingly went down like a lead balloon. Now it has been removed from the club's online store after significant backlash from supporters. When clicking on the link that used to lead to Rangers vs Liverpool panoramic frame print, users are now taken to an error message highlighting that the club have listened to their feedback. It reads 404 page not found with a link to another page on the website. Report by Ewan Payton. Evening Times Sport, November 15. Spain shortlist three venues for Scotland Euro 2024 showdown. Report by Mark Walker. Spain have drawn up a shortlist of three venues where they will host Scotland in the Euro 2024 qualifiers next year. And the Tartan Army could be heading to Gran Canaria. Steve Clark's side will face top seed Spain in their quest to make their second European Championships in a row and will also play against Norway, Georgia and Cyprus. Scotland's biggest test will come when they travel to Spain in the third last game of the group in October before travelling to face Georgia and ending with a home game against the Norwegians. Spain doesn't have a home stadium for their national team and take their games all around the country. And it's been reported the Royal Spanish Football Federation have drawn up a short list of three venues where they will host the Scots. The favourite is the 32,392 capacity Estadio Gran Canaria in Las Palmas. They hosted Northern Ireland there for the Euro 2008 qualifiers, but have not played there for four years. The other options are the Estadio Manuel Martinez Valero in Elke, which holds 31,388, and last hosted a Nations League qualifier against Croatia in 2018 and the nearby Estadio José Rico Pérez in Alicante, which holds 29,500, is also being considered, having been last used by the Spanish national team in a World Cup qualifier in 2017 against Albania. Scotland kick off their Euro 2024 campaign with a home doubleheader against Cyprus and Spain in March. Report by Mark Walker.
Evening Times Sport, November 16. Callum McGregor in Celtic Injury Update. Report by Ewan Payton. Callum McGregor admits he is aiming to take part in Celtic training in Australia as he steps up his return from injury. The Hoops captain has been out of action for around five weeks after sustaining a knee injury against RB Leipzig in the Champions League. It was a big blow to Ange Postecoglou and his side, with their mainstay midfielder highly influential player in the team. There were fears initially that it could end the 29-year-old season. However, these concerns were eased after a scan. Celtic have landed in Australia for their mid-season World Cup break, where they will participate in the Sydney Super Cup. And while there's no guarantees McGregor will get any game time, he wants to at least get back into full first-team training. He told Celtic TV, Hopefully I will be joining bits of the sessions this week and just progressing the rehab. It will be an important five or six days for me as well. I'm looking forward to getting back on the grass with the boys. On the three games Celtic will face, McGregor and his Postecoglou's side won't drop their levels. He added, more of the same. We understand the way we want to play. I'm sure the gaffer will be keen for us to put on a good show coming back to his home country. He will be putting pressure on the lads to make sure they are performing well. Good football, good intensity and want to have victories as well. These guys get up in the middle of the night to watch the games and this is an opportunity to see us live and it's important we don't disappoint. We show them the best of ourselves and put on a good show for them. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, November 16 Celtic prepared for January transfer bids for World Cup star. Report by Ewan Payton Celtic are preparing for January transfer bids for Josip Juranovic after the World Cup. The right-back will play in the tournament in Qatar for Croatia. Reports in recent months have suggested that a host of big European clubs have all taken interest in the 27-year-old after his consistent impressive performances in a Celtic shirt. The likes of Atletico Madrid, Manchester United and Chelsea have all been linked with him and now the Daily Mail reports that Celtic are braced for new interest. They state that talks over a new contract at Parkhead have stalled. The Croats' current deal runs out in 2026, so he will command a sizable fee should a team want to buy him. He joined in the summer of 2021 from Legia Warsaw for a fee believed to be around £2.5 million. Ange Postecoglou recently spoke about the sale of players and its importance. He said, If our players do well and move on to so-called greener pastures, if that is what they want, then there is an opportunity for me to improve the team. Because if they are going to leave us, we are going to get some revenue in. 
I don't fear losing our players. I see that as part of the process. If you look at clubs who do well at Champions League level that are our size, what do they do? They develop players, sell them on, and replace them with better versions, hopefully. That is where I think our growth lies. I think it is part of the process. I don't fear that. I think that has to happen for us to grow. We need to be bringing money in to be able to keep bringing better players to our club. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, November 16 Rangers hero Nacho Novo lands big coaching opportunity. Report by Ewan Payton Former Rangers star Nacho Novo has embarked on a new coaching journey in his career. The Jazz hero is heading to the United States after he was appointed assistant manager of Lexington Sporting Club. The newly launched Kentucky-based outfit will compete in the United Soccer League, USL, League One this season. That is the third tier of the United States football system behind the MLS and the USL Championship. Novo will also serve as head coach of the team's under-23 side. The Spaniard has previous experience in United States soccer, having previously had a stint at Carolina Railhawks, who are now known as North Carolina FC. It was during his time with the Railhawks that Novo would play alongside Lexington's English sporting director and head coach Sam Stockley, whom he will work alongside again. Novo said, I have been fortunate to play at a high level, and since I started as a youngster in my hometown, I have been able to learn from many different managers. I want to take that experience and help all the players in Lexington. This is a new club, but it's a new club that's like a family, and I really enjoy being here with everybody on the staff. Not many times you have the chance to build something from scratch, so for me it was an opportunity I could not turn down. Everyone here, including the ownership, is very serious about what they want to do, making this a proper soccer team that connects with the community and does well. Stockley said, Obviously Nacho's experience in different cultures and high-performance environments is something that I believe will be a huge resource for our players on the first team. Along with being an assistant for the team overall, he will do wonders with our forwards, attacking midfielders and wingers. As someone I have known for more than 10 years, he's a loving, caring person that buys into the culture. He knows what it takes to succeed as a player and will also bring a lot of life skills and knowledge to the table. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, November 16 Dr Adam Talbot says it is time to blow the whistle on the sports washing of Qatar. This weekend, the 2022 FIFA Men's World Cup 
kicks off in the Gulf state of Qatar amid myriad controversies from the appalling treatment of migrant workers who constructed the stadiums to the criminalisation of same-sex relations, not to mention the disruption to European football seasons and allegations of corruption in the bidding process. Thousands of migrant workers have died in Qatar in the last decade, and while the organising committee argues that only 37 who were working on World Cup projects have perished, Amnesty International highlights conditions of forced labour as a widespread concern. Welsh LGBT fans, despite their side qualifying for its first World Cup since 1958, have admirably taken a stand by boycotting the event. With such controversies, even FIFA's former president Sepp Blatter now admits hosting the event in Qatar was a mistake. Of course, this issue creates a challenge for those associated with the World Cup. While Qatar and FIFA press on with the event, questions are raised for sponsors of the event who are paying to be linked to this human rights catastrophe. Broadcasters too have a difficult line to walk after repeated events in other authoritarian countries fail to bring about a hope for improvement in democracy and human rights. The Summer Olympics in Beijing 2008 was vaunted as an opportunity to improve human rights in China. However, Human Rights Watch argues that, if anything, it was a catalyst for further abuses. In this context, broadcasters have suggested that the solution is to talk about the problem in the broadcast. Gary Lineker, speaking on Global's News Agents podcast last week, talked about the importance of educating yourself, adding that there are massive issues, while Gary Neville suggested when hosting the BBC's Have I Got News For You show that you either highlight the issues and challenges in these countries and speak about them, or you basically don't say anything and stay back home and don't go. As Ian Hislop rightly pointed out, it's not going to be in the commentary, raising the question of how many will actually pay attention. The phenomenon of using sports events to distract from human rights violations has come to be known as sports washing. While the term itself is relatively new, scholars have traced its history and practice back to ancient times, be it Athenian chariot racing to project strength, or Roman gladiatorial combat to distract the population from domestic issues. Many argue the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin under Nazi rule are an early example of sports washing. The idea has gained new impetus on the back of recent events in authoritarian countries, particularly the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing, the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, the 2018 World Cup in Russia, the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing 
and now the upcoming World Cup in Qatar. Alongside these high-profile examples, there have been a plethora of smaller-scale events, including the 2015 European Games in Baku, Azerbaijan, F1 races in Gulf states including Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, and high-profile boxing fights in Saudi Arabia. Sports washing is often understood as a state trying to use soft power to demonstrate its positive qualities to an international audience, distracting from human rights issues through a celebration of sport. However, it is important to note that international viewers are not the only audience for sports washing. As the geographer Sven Daniel Wolf has written about Sochi 2014, we can see the demonstration of power more through the lens of creating a sense of national unity for Russians rather than creating attraction towards Russia from abroad. In this case, sports washing isn't about convincing foreign governments and audiences, it's about cementing power domestically. As political scientist Jules Boykoff notes, in these contexts, sports washing can be used to set the stage for military intervention, with Russia's annexation of Crimea beginning mere days after the Sochi closing ceremony. This distinction between international and domestic audiences is important for the upcoming World Cup. While the likes of China and Russia may be using these mega events, to project power to their domestic populations and cement their grip on power. What is happening in Qatar and other Gulf states is different. Part of the impetus for their investments in this area stems from a desire to transition their economies away from overwhelming reliance on fossil fuel exports and develop tourism and event industries. For this, they need to convince international audiences that they are capable hosts and attractive destinations. In this context, talking about it, as Lineker and Neville suggest, does have the potential to make a difference, although Hislop's question about whether people will actually listen remains pertinent. Despite that, talking about it has already made a difference. The worst elements of Qatar's kafala system, by which migrant workers were not able to move jobs or leave the country without the employer's consent, have been changed. This comes with caveats. The laws were changed after many of the World Cup stadiums had been completed, and they need to be properly enforced over time to make a difference, and not change back once the eyes of the world move on. While FIFA will try to claim the credit for creating the pressure for this change, it is groups like the International Labour Organization, Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch who have been pushing for this over the past decade. However, Qatar isn't an instructive lesson. Talking about it doesn't always work. Western coverage of the Jeddah Grand Prix included an interview with the Saudi sports minister asking softball questions surrounding human rights, but softball questions do not create change. Human rights defenders and hard criticism 
can create pressure for change in the right circumstances, but this also needs to be sustained over the long term. Often there is criticism in the lead-up to mega-events like the World Cup, but it melts away once the event begins, as the media focuses exclusively on the sport, before moving on to the next event and ignoring the problems the event leaves in its wake. Whether Qatar will follow a different path remains to be seen, says Dr. Adam Talbot, who is a lecturer in events management at the University of the West of Scotland. His research focuses on mega events, human rights and civil society. Evening Times Sport, November 16. Postikoglu to snub Japan job offer. Report by Ewan Payton. Celtic boss Ange Postikoglu will snub a job offer from the Japan national team, according to a report. The Hoops manager is reportedly set to knock back any advances from the land of the rising sun. The Sports Times told yesterday how the Australian gaffer was top of Japan's wanted list to potentially replace their present manager after the World Cup in Qatar. One source had claimed that the Japanese had already contacted Postacoglu to sound him out about the move. However, the daily records say that Postacoglu would not back any such offer. The Aussie has earned plaudits from far and wide for the way he has turned Celtic around within the space of 18 months after their flopped 10 in a row bid. Not just for winning the Premiership in his first season, but for the style of football implemented and his ability to scout players. The report states that Postecoglou feels he is building something special at Celtic. They say that it would take an offer he simply couldn't refuse to tempt him to leave Glasgow. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, November 16 That boy should be playing for Rangers or Celtic, says St Mirren manager. Report by Ewan Payton St Mirren's Ethan Erhahon should be playing for Rangers or Celtic, according to Buddy's boss, Stephen Robinson. The Northern Irishman is a huge man for the talented midfielder. He simply described the 21-year-old as a player. Erhahon has played in 19 games so far this campaign. He has been a mainstay in the St Mirren team, playing a vital role in the victory over Celtic and in the team which secured a draw against Rangers. Robinson could not be happy to have him at his disposal and the former Motherwell boss claims he could play for either of the Glasgow Giants. He said, My big thing when you play the old firm is can you keep the ball when you land on it? And we did. Ethan Erhahon, he should be playing for Rangers or Celtic. I tell you, that boy is a player. Our recruitment has been good and we have got some very good players here. We have some assets at the football club. 
Keanu Bacchus is going to the World Cup and Ryan Strain is very unfortunate not to be going as well. The boy is a very good footballer and his time will come. Mark O'Hara has been terrific and that's why I have made him captain. He is a terrific boy who epitomises what we do. He wants to take information on board and as a manager he is a dream. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, November 17 Celtic January transfer plans laid bare Report by Aidan Smith Celtic will be in the market for a right-back and a striker in the January transfer window, according to reports. Ange Potis-Goglu's side have braced for bids coming in for defender Josip Juranovic after the World Cup, and as a result they have put contract talks on hold. Discussions will likely be revisited after the Qatar tournament if offers have been made, but the Daily Record report that a new right-back will be a priority in the new year. Chelsea, Manchester United and Atletico Madrid have been credited with an interest in Juranovic in the past. A striker is also a key position, with Celtic are looking to strengthen their ranks behind regular starters Kyogo Furuhashi and Georges Giacomakis. Meanwhile, Celtic captain Callum McGregor is stepping up his bid to return from injury during the club's tour to Australia. The midfielder has been sidelined since sustaining a knee injury in the Champions League match away to RB Leipzig at the start of October. However, he was pictured running with his teammates on Wednesday after they arrived in Australia to prepare for the Sydney Cup. McGregor told Celtic TV prior to the first training session, Hopefully, I will be joining bits of the sessions this week and just progressing the rehab. It will be an important five or six days for me. I am looking forward to getting back on the grass with the boys. McGregor is adamant the trip down under to compete in the Sydney Cup is valuable for Celtic in terms of maintaining sharpness, while also giving their fan base in Australia a rare chance to watch them in action. The Hoops faced Sydney FC today and then Everton on Sunday. It's still a really important period for the team, said McGregor, whose side will face Aberdeen away on December 17 when they return to singe Premiership action after the World Cup break. And he continued, it is important to come and see the fans in Australia. We have that responsibility to come and see the supporters. We've bumped into a few of them. These guys get up in the middle of the night to watch the games and it is important the club acknowledge that. We are here to do that, but at the same time we are here to work and continue the fitness. We've got a four week break before the league starts up again and it's important to mean the standards in the way we want to train and play. Report by Aidan Smith 
Evening Times Sport, November 17. Steve Clark claims Scotland denied clear penalty. Report by Liam Bryce. Steve Clark believes Scotland were denied a clear penalty in Wednesday night's friendly defeat to Turkey. The national team's four-game unbeaten run came to an end as strikes from Ozan Kabak and Kengiz Under gave the host victory despite John McGinn's 15th international goal sparking a late surge. Lyndon Dykes had a spot kick claim dismissed following a shove from Kabak and Scotland were unable to conjure up an equaliser. The result ensures Clark's side close out 2022 with a defeat, but the manager is adamant they were let down by referee Vizar Castrati. He said, We had some moments, but we couldn't get the equaliser, although when you look at the penalty incident, it was a clear penalty. Why it's not given, I don't know. On the flip side, when Stuart Armstrong went down on the edge of the box, it wasn't a foul, and they scored from the counter-attack off that. I would have liked the penalty, to be honest. Marked improvement after going two goals down didn't quite mask what was a largely lacklustre Scotland display, one that could have been worse at the interval had Quebec in particular been more clinical. He eventually bulleted home a header from a deep free kick five minutes before the break and understruck the eventual winner following a quick counter four minutes after the restart. Clark was frustrated by the nature of goals conceded but refused to uh, aim too much criticism his players' way, suggesting their preparation for the fixture had been less than ideal. He said, the first goal just before half-time is a key moment in the game. If we got to half-time at nothing-nothing, we can tweak the team, do what we want to do, and still be on level terms. To defend a set pay like that is poor. We know it's poor. We'll try and make sure we improve on that. It's not something we've been culpable of recently. It's something we can look at, address, and be better at. At times we coped quite well, other times not so well. We probably gave up too many chances in the first half, a lot of them from our own slackness. Maybe it was the mentality of a friendly, but it should be mentioned also that it was a long trip to get here, a long flight. We decided to do it in quite a short time span, we only had 25 or 20 minutes tactical work on the pitch on Monday, which was obviously in front of everybody who wanted to watch it. So, we can make some excuses from that, but I don't want to make too many excuses. There were some things we tried on the pitch, organisation-wise, set-play-wise. Some of it worked and some of it didn't. We have to go away, analyse what we did, and hopefully be much better next year. McGinn notching another fine Scotland goal, arrowed into the corner after a surging run from midfield, was the undoubted highlight for the travelling contingent. I think we give John plenty of credit, Clark told BBC Scotland, 
When asked if the Aston Villa star remains an underrated figure, he's been great for me. He's got those goals in my time as manager. We have found a way to play John, normally higher up the pitch, but he scored tonight from deeper. He's got that dynamic, and he's a good finisher. Strong boy, was fouled on the run through, but stayed on his feet and showed a quality finish. We're all grateful to John, and we know how good he is for Scotland. Clark was disappointed last week by Celtic's decision not to release players for the fixture as they embarked on a mid-season trip to Australia, while Nathan Patterson, Kenny McLean and Che Adams withdrew on Monday through injury. But the boss was able to hand a debut to Liverpool full-back Calvin Ramsey and brought Bologna's Lewis Ferguson back into the fold. He is confident his squad options are plentiful ahead of the Euro 2024 qualifying campaign, commencing on March 25, as Cyprus visit Hamden. Added Clark, it showed the depth of the squad when you think I've made six changes tonight. I've taken Grant Hanley off and put Scott McKenna on, a player from the English Premier League. Young Calvin gets his first cap, which is great for him. I know it was a tough night for him to come in. It was a difficult game to come into. He gave us a bit more defensive solidity. I didn't want to put the young man under pressure early in the game, so I think the half-time introduction was better for Calvin. Lewis Ferguson came off the bench and looked really good. Ryan Jack gave us a nice stability in midfield. There are positives to be taken from the game, but obviously the overriding feeling is we're disappointed the four-game unbeaten run comes to an end. Report by Liam Bryce Evening Times Sport, November 17 Yanis Haggy's Injury Journey Report by Aidan Smith Yanis Hagi has opened up on his struggles with injury as he prepares for a return to action in the new year. The Romanian international has not featured for Rangers since January and underwent surgery on a knee issue before entering his recovery phase. Some reports suggested that Hagi had faced knockbacks in his recovery, but the 23-year-old insists he is bouncing back in the expected time frame. He has told of his mental struggles and he is determined to show his worth when he returns to competitive action. He told Rangers TV, It's so different to what you experience on the pitch. The emotions are definitely higher. They are twice as high as being on the pitch physically. I get why the fans get frustrated at times. I get why they always have high expectations of the club and the team. Look, it's been amazing for the club getting to a European final and winning the Scottish Cup last season. This year, I think the team has been so unlucky with so many long-term injuries. It is mixed feelings to be a fan, but I would definitely prefer to be on the pitch rather than on the sidelines. Now I'm good. I'm in a good place mentally, 
and I think that's the most important thing for me right now. Physically, I'm growing every week. I can see progression, and that's always positive. I was growing every season into Rangers, and I was enjoying my football so much. But in football, you need only one second when everything can just stop for you. It's been a tough one, a roller coaster mentally and physically, but I can see I'm close to my final destination. There's no better feeling, especially to experience it with everyone around here. It's twice as good. Report by Aidan Smith. Evening Times Sport, November 17. Maida vows not to repeat Celtic European mistakes at World Cup. Report by Aidan MacDonald. Celtic forward Dazen Maida is keen to avoid a repeat of the mistakes that the Hoops made during their Champions League campaign ahead of the World Cup. The former Yokohama F. Marinos player is set to represent Japan at the tournament in Qatar and he has made clear he does not want to fall victim to the same problems he did in Europe for Ange Postecoglou's side this season. The Scottish champions finished with two points out of a possible 18 in a group that contained Real Madrid, RB Leipzig and Shakhtar Donetsk. While there were some positive performances during the six fixtures, Maida and his teammates were disappointed with the final standings. He told Japanese outlet KKT, I was able to learn about the world level in the Champions League before the World Cup, so even though we didn't win, I think I got a lot out of it. I want to use the experience I gained in the Champions League to help me in this World Cup. We didn't take our chances and the other team did. I don't think we will have many chances at the World Cup, but we can't win unless we take that one shot. And I think we can ride the wave if we do. So I want to make every one of them count. Japan are in a group with Spain, Costa Rica and Germany. Report by Aidan MacDonald Evening Times Sport November 17 Postikoglu makes Celtic vow. Report by Aidan Smith Ange Postikoglu insists he has unfinished business at Celtic meaning he will not be departing Parkhead any time soon. The Aussie boss has hit the ground running since arriving in Glasgow, as he won the Premiership title in his first year in charge. Celtic are currently nine points clear this year and look certain to land the trophy for a second successive season. With success comes speculation, and recently Postikoglu has been linked with jobs at both the Japanese national team and Everton in the Premier League. But the Hoops gaffer has brushed this aside as he detailed his love and loyalty to his current employers. He said, It is not that I am ignorant to this kind of stuff. These things will always happen. It's just not the way I'm wired. I love what I'm doing at the moment. I'm just so passionate about this football club 
and achieving success, but I haven't yet achieved what I want to achieve. Whatever role I've had, that has always been my primary focus. The future will take care of itself. I am under no illusions. I know how fickle the football world can be. Last year, people were saying I would go for very different reasons. Things can change very quickly. I've never worried about what will happen in the future, what is out there, or what my next step is. What I do is focus on something I am passionate about, and I couldn't be happier. I don't get distracted. I don't think there's any use in it. I love what I do. There's no need to think about anything other than making this football club as successful as I can, as long as I am here. That can sometimes be taken out of my hands. But while I'm here, I'm just totally focused and committed to achieving something special at this club. However long I am here, I want to make a mark because ultimately that's what you've got left at the end of your career. Hopefully the places you have been to, you can one day walk back in and be appreciated for what you have achieved. It's not lost on me. We were in a totally different place 12 months ago and what we have achieved collectively in terms of rebuilding a team and a squad while having success and playing the football we're playing. It's been exceptional, but I just feel it's the beginning. I know there is more to come. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport, November 18 Rodjic praised for attitude after being left out of Australia World Cup squad. Report by Ewan Payton Tom Rodjic has been praised for his attitude after being left out of Australia's squad for the World Cup. The former Celtic star is not Qatar-bound despite being a mainstay in the national team for many years. The attacking midfielder moved to West Brom this season after spending nine years at Celtic, but it has not gone swimmingly for the Aussie in the Championship. Rodjic has struggled for game time under new boss Carlos Corberan since he took over in October. He's made just two substitute appearances in Corberan's four games in charge. Explaining Rodjic's absence previously, the Baggies boss said the ex-Celtic player needed time to adapt. This lack of game time ultimately saw Rodjic left out of Australia's player pool for the World Cup. With USA striker Darryl Dyke also overlooked in the West Brom ranks, it means they have no players heading to the tournament for the first time since 2002. However, Coburn has praised both players for their response to the news, and he said, The only thing I can tell you is I am watching a very good attitude in both players. I knew both players had the possibilities to go to the World Cup, and maybe for the reason not enough minutes, the national team did not decide to select them. 
I am watching players really, really focused in the situation we are having right now. Report by Ewan Payton. Evening Times Sport, November 18. Graeme McGarry says, You can hate FIFA, but still love and watch the World Cup. God, I love the World Cup. I'm even old enough to remember Scotland being in it a couple of times, with Stuart McCall's goal against Sweden at Italia 90 still emblazoned in my mind's eye. And even when we Scots have not been at the party ourselves, I have still found myself enraptured by it, which is just as well given our qualification record over the last 20 plus years. Growing up, I went through all the coming-of-age football fan cliches with relish, getting the wall chart up, collecting the stickers in my Panini album, right through to work sweepstakes and World Cup barbecues, as other nations were adopted to cheer on and beers were shared in the height of summer. Fat chance of that this year, of course, with the tournament kicking off in Qatar on Sunday, just as we finally start to feel the bite of winter settling in. But for me, being denied a garden party or two is the least of a long list of concerns around the greatest tournament of them all, being sullied by FIFA once more. The palpable excitement that normally permeates the build-up to the World Cup has been conspicuous by its absence this year. The timing contributes to that, of course, but so too does the stench of corruption and unease at the flagrant sports washing FIFA have facilitated for the second World Cup in a row. Just as I watched and enjoyed the tournament in Russia four years ago, so too will I inevitably come to be sucked into the spectacle, regardless of how grim the backdrop to it may be. The scandal of the plight of migrant workers is well documented, with The Guardian estimating there have been around 6,500 deaths among them since Qatar was awarded the tournament 12 years ago. Various human rights groups say that the conditions they are forced to work in, allied to the often crippling debt it takes to get them there and trap them there, amounts to modern slavery. Qatari attitudes to and laws against homosexuality are also an abomination to the Western ear, and that the showpiece event for what is supposed to be the world's game, an inclusive game, is being taken to a country where gay fans would feel under threat or be forced to conceal their sexuality is a disgrace. Khalid Salman a former Qatari international, last week described homosexuality as damage in the mind. Three Lions Pride, the LGBT England fan group, will not travel to Qatar, and I completely understand the viewpoint of those such as female England international Lottie Wubin-Moy, who says she cannot and will not watch the tournament 
despite longing for her male counterparts to bring home the trophy. On a personal level, I have flipped this way and that on the issue. On a cold cerebral level, a boycott of the tournament would seem the moral course of action. By tuning in and drinking the Kool-Aid, or the Coca-Cola, in this case, one of the many sponsors whose investment in this World Cup I will in turn be vindicating, would I not be part of the problem? FIFA, after all, have had the gall to write to all of the competing football associations, urging them to focus on the football. By doing the same, and turning a blind eye to the malevolence of the game's governing body, won't I be tacitly endorsing them and their actions? All of that may well be true, but on the other hand, why should FIFA deny me and millions like me of the joy that first made the World Cup so special? Why should they deny my sons the same? Now they are of an age to truly appreciate the unique spectacle of the tournament. They may not see a Scot scoring and have that warm memory to draw on, but they might just see a moment of magic from Lionel Messi, a burst of brilliance from Kylian Mbappe, or, heaven forbid, a thumping finish from Harry Kane that sticks in their mind just the same and ignites a lifelong passion for the game. The greatest Scotland goal ever from Archie Gemmell against the Netherlands. The Gordon Banks save from Pele. Diego Maradona and the hand of God. Roger Miller dancing by the corner flag. Marco Tardelli crying with joy as he ran off after scoring against Germany. The Carlos Alberto goal in 1970. You will all have your own special memories of the tournament, and this is a key point. All of these moments belong to us, not FIFA, not Qatar, but the fans. Maybe this is a roundabout way of comforting myself as I hold my nose and revel in the festival of football, but I have come to the conclusion that the protests planned by teams on the biggest stage of all while not nearly enough perhaps to elicit any great change at FIFA, will be enough at least to salve my conscience that the governing body are now at long last, to some degree, being held to account. That there should even be a moral quandary and guilt attached to watching the World Cup is just one of many reasons why the tournament should never have gone to Qatar in the first instance. But I don't think that hating FIFA and loving the World Cup, even watching it and enjoying it, are irreconcilable points of view, says Graeme McGarry. Evening Times Sport, November 18. Partick Thistle's McCall sympathises with Rangers over similar injury crisis. Report by Ewan Payton. Ian McCall insists he can sympathise with Giovanni van Bronckhorst at Rangers. The Partick Thistle boss says injuries are totally disrupting his side's season, much like they are for the Dutchman at Ibrox, 
However, while there is a five-week premiership break due to the World Cup, which will allow for some time for players to recover, there is no such luxury in the Championship, where the games continue to fall thick and fast. His side stormed out of the traps early in the season, living up to their tag as title favourites. However, they have gone on a disastrous six-game losing run, leaving Thistle seventh in the table, eight points off air at the summit. Injuries to key players such as Ross Doherty and Kevin Holt have not helped matters, and McCall reckons their situation reflects what's going on at Rangers. The Jags gaffer said, It is a concern for me if these boys come back and we keep losing games, then I'm in serious bother. I'm not daft. It's a really bizarre situation. As I've been doing this for so long, I've had loads of bad periods. But four weeks ago on Wednesday, we went to Aberdeen. Doherty ran into Holt and they injured themselves. We were top of the league. We were in the quarter-final of the League Cup. So it's been a really bizarre period, but I still maintain, out with the Wraith Rovers game, when we were truly abysmal, we could have taken points from any other game. You've seen it at Rangers too. Gio has several players out, six or seven who would start. I know there will be an argument they should still win, but ultimately that does affect things. These are main players we've been without. I think it gives everyone a lift when they come back. Report by Ewan Payton. Evening Times Sport, November 18. Scotland under-21s pay for failing to take chances. Report by Ronnie Esplin. Scotland under-21s paid the price for first-half profligacy as they slipped to a 2-1 defeat against their Iceland counterparts in a friendly at Fir Park. Deputant Max Johnson, on loan at Cove Rangers from Motherwell, opened the scoring on his parent club's ground on the half-hour mark as the home side caused plenty of problems. Liverpool's exciting 17-year-old prospect, Ben Doak, making his first start, should have scored at least two in the opening 45 minutes, and there could have been more. However, Iceland looked a different team after the break, and forward Kristal Manny Ingensen levelled two minutes after the restart, then converted a penalty in the 59th minute, which proved to be the winner. It was the latest preparation match for Scott Gemmell's side, ahead of the next European Championship qualification campaign, which begins in 2023, and there was a new look about his lineup, partly due to the loss of several players from his original squad. Bayern Munich B defender Liam Morrison made his debut as captain, with Newcastle under-21 goalkeeper Jude Smith, Middlesbrough's Hayden Hackney, Alex Lowry of Rangers, Johnston and Ebane Bowat of Fulham's Academy, also featuring at this level for the first time. 
free entry to the game brought in a decent main stand crowd of 2,128, many of them enthusiastic children who were impressed by the home side's start. Doak should have scored in the 10th minute when he was sent clear down the right by Lowry's raking pass, but he struck his shot straight at Iceland keeper. Johnson, son of former Scotland winger Alan Johnson, created his goal, feeding Doak down the right and keeping his run going until he got the return pass to slide the ball in from 10 yards. The Scots looked good for another. Doak was thwarted again after bursting into the box, before striker Tommy Conway blasted a shot from close range off the Iceland keeper's head moments later. In the 47th minute, after the visitors reached the Scotland box all too easily, Ingerson's first effort from 12 yards was blocked by Morrison, but his second shot proved too powerful for Smith who got a hand to the ball, but could not keep it out. Ingerson doubled his tally from the spot, after Morrison was adjudged to have tripped Iceland's substitute Christopher Jonsson inside the penalty area. Evening Times Sport, November 18. Haksa on brilliant Celtic fans. Report by Ewan Payton Say that Haksabanovic has labelled Celtic fans brilliant. The attacker says the hoops strong worldwide support following their efforts down under during the club's friendly match in the Sydney Super Cup is wonderful. Ange Postikoglu's men went down 2-1 to host Sydney FC in their opening match of the tour. Kyogo handed the Scottish champions the lead in the game before this was cancelled out and Max Burgess gave his side the win. Postikoglu was frustrated with his side in defeat, even with the game only being a friendly. Hank Sabanovich insisted he and his teammates deserved that treatment. He told the media, of course we were disappointed. We want to win every game, whether it's a friendly, in the league or the Champions League. We have come a long way, but unfortunately we did not show our best side. It's a long journey and the times are different, but we don't like to make excuses. It's not hard to sleep right. We should have shown more, so we were not happy. Everywhere we go, we have a massive fan base. They showed again. They are brilliant. I play for a great club with amazing fans. And once again, they have shown that. I want to give them more. I feel good and my confidence is high after scoring a few goals. I am enjoying my football. In my head, I am more relaxed, but I want to do more. At first I was new and I had to learn how everyone moved on the pitch. It's always the same with new teammates. I feel more in tune with them now, and it's easier for me to read what they are doing. The standard in the squad is so high. Everyone here can score or create goals. We have players who can change games. 
I feel I have more to give as well, 100%. Report by Ewan Payton. Glasgow Evening Times, 21st of November and the sports section. BBC and ITV to share World Cup coverage in UK. How to Watch by Lois McKenzie. The World Cup is underway with the opening ceremony taking place on Sunday, November 20. Tournament organisers attempted to turn the focus away from the multitude of issues that have overshadowed the long build-up to Qatar 2022 by emphasising football's power to unite during the opening ceremony. As the games got underway, thousands of England and Wales fans will watch in on Qatar as both nations begin their bids for World Cup 2022 glory. Millions more supporters are expected to tune in back home as England opens their Group B campaign against Iran on Monday afternoon before Wales makes their first appearance at the World Cup final since 1958 against the US. Both teams will be hoping to get off to a winning start and pick up points in their second games later in the week before facing each other next week for their final group stage fixture. What channel is the World Cup on in the UK? BBC and ITV will be sharing coverage of this year's World Cup, broadcasting every game live across BBC One and ITV One. You can also catch the action on BBC iPlayer and ITV Hub. BBC will be airing England's first match against Iran on Monday, November 21st. ITV One will be showing Wales' opening match against the USA. And that was by Lois McKenzie. The Glasgow Evening Times, 21st of November and the sports section. Douglas Park details why Rangers sacked Giovanni van Brockhurst by Adrian Smith. Rangers chairman Douglas Park has detailed the reasoning behind Gianni van Bronckhurst's sacking. We exclusively revealed today that the Dutchman had been axed following a string of poor results, both domestically and in Europe. The Ibrox club's search for a new manager is now underway, and early favourites include former boss Steven Gerrard and assistant Michael Beale. It remains to be seen where Rangers will look, but for the time being, Chairman Park was keen to express his thanks to Van Brockhurst. He commented, I want to thank Gio for the hard work he's put in over the last 12 months, and especially the achievements of taking the club to the Europa League final and winning the Scottish Cup last season. Unfortunately, recent results have not met either, nor are Gio's expectations, and we have taken this difficult decision today. Everyone at Rangers wishes Gio every success in the future. Van Bronckhurst, a former player at Ibrox, was appointed as Steven Gerrard's successor a year ago and led the club to the Europa League final and a first Scottish Cup triumph in 13 years at the end of his first campaign in charge. Rangers have just over three weeks to find a successor for Van Brankhurst with their first match after the World Cup break at home to Hibernian on December 15. That was by Adrian Smith. The Glasgow Evening Times, 21st of November and the sports section. Gareth Southgate determined to bring World Cup joy to England fans. 
Gareth Southgate wants to bring the World Cup joy to the nation at a challenging time by leading England on another memorable journey. Having reached the semi-finals in Russia four years ago and finished as Euro 2020 runners-up, the three Lions are among the favourites to triumph this winter in Qatar. But the heat is on Southgate after England were relegated from the Nations League top tier. During a six-match winless run, they will hope to end on Monday's Group B opener against Iran. Clashes against the United States and Wales quickly follow as his players look to join Sir Alf Ramsey's 1966 heroes as the only Englishman to have ever won a major international trophy. Look, our challenge is to give our supporters a tournament that's memorable, Southgate said on the eve of the Iran game at the Khalifa International Stadium. We've taken them on fantastic journeys in our last two tournaments and we want to bring them on another. Our country is also going through a difficult spell. Not the same as some of the other countries around the world at the moment, but we're in the middle of an economic recession and life has been difficult for a lot of people. So we want them to enjoy their football and have a journey with the team that brings some real happiness. There's been precious little time to prepare for the tournament, given the unprecedented scheduling of the tournament, which is wedged in the middle of the Premier League season. England met up on Monday and jetted out to Qatar the following day, with James Madison the only player ruled out against Iran as he recovers from a knee issue. Everybody is available bar James Madison for tomorrow, Southgate said. It's a little early for Kyle Walker, but he's training with the team, so that's ahead of where we thought we might he might be at this stage. Very positive. We're looking forward to this challenge, and I really like the way the players have approached training this week. It's been a good transition for us because training a couple of days earlier in the day with the heat, which we wanted to adapt to. Now we've had a couple of lighter sessions later at night, it's quite cool now, so we feel that's been good physical tapering for the game. England have been training at Al Wakra sports, sports Complex, where players have been peppered with questions during media access over Qatar's treatment of migrant workers and LGBTQ people. Iran's players and staff have also faced questions about politics given the deaths and arrests in the struggle for gender equality in their homeland. A reporter, seemingly irked by such questions, responded by mentioning the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan in a left lengthy question to Southgate that led the moderator to quest journalists are more succinct. I understand the frustration from your team regarding the questions, Southgate said, is a very difficult situation. And, believe me, I've been asked lots and lots of political questions by our media about lots of subjects for six years. So we're both in the same situation on that. I understand in the position I'm in that there's a responsibility for me to answer some of those questions. We are very respectful of our opponents tomorrow. We know the quality of the players, several of them playing at big European clubs. Obviously, a couple have been playing in England. And we know Carlos Quirios in the last cup they were a very well organized team very difficult to play against against big opponents we're ready for the game we're ready for a strong challenge a difficult game we have to be the very best version of ourselves to win the game 
Southgate highlighted Sadar Azumun and Mehdi Tarimi as particular threats for Quirio's well-drilled side, who will look to counter from a solid base. In terms of the teams with the low block, I mean, I think our team have been pretty creative in and successful in breaking those sorts of challenges, Southgate added. You always have to be patient. We know that we mustn't be frustrated if it takes us time to score because that's been consistent. Teams that have played against Iran, it's been difficult to score goals. We had a similar challenge in our first game in Russia where we played Tunisia. We were playing well, we scored, looked as if the game was going in a good direction, we conceded a penalty. We had to react to that in the right way and we ended up scoring in the last minute of the game. So this team has been through lots of different challenges, had to come back in games when they've been behind. They've always responded in the right way and that's what we've got to do during this tournament as well. The Glasgow Evening Times, the 21st of November, and the sports section. When does Scottish Premiership restart after World Cup break by Ewan Payton? The 2022 World Cup has begun. Qatar is hosting the biggest tournament of them all, as the best footballers in the planet battle it out this winter in the Middle East. It's perhaps the most controversial World Cup in history due to the host nation's culture and beliefs. However, the competition is now underway and the hosts will be hoping to concentrate on the football. Unfortunately, Scotland will not be involved, having failed to qualify earlier this year. However, Scotland's top flight will go into cold storage while the World Cup is played, much like all major leagues across Europe. When does the World Cup break start in Scotland? In Scotland, the World Cup break starts on Saturday, November 12. All teams are in action on game week 15 of the Premiership as they battle it out in the last fixture for around five weeks. When does the World Cup break end and the Premiership resume? The World Cup break officially ends in Scotland on Thursday, December 15. Therefore, the Premiership will be off for just over one month in Scotland. All teams will be played their first games back after the break by Saturday, December 17. What is the first Premiership fixture after the World Cup break? The first match back in Scotland's top flight following the mid-season pause will be Rangers versus Hibs. The Jazz will host Lee Johnson's men at Ibrox on Thursday, December 15 at 8pm. The other fixtures for game week 16 are Aberdeen versus Celtic, Hearts versus Kilmarnock, Livingston versus Dundee United, Motherwell versus St Mirren, and Ross County versus St Johnston. That was by Ewan Payton. And that was this week's Glasgow Times Sport podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.